0: I'm delighted to have in the Reading Corner with me today, storyteller and writer Atinuke. Her stories for me are some of the most joyful stories of all. And as we know, she writes a lot about uh, children in Africa and in Nigeria. But Atinuke wasn't always a story writer. I believe she started out as a storyteller. And so that's where I'd like our podcast to start today. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Well, it was something I fell into by accident. Um, A friend was organising a children's festival and one of the performers hadn't turned up and she said, oh, please, please, please go on stage and just, you know, just tell one of the stories that you tell us. I wanted to say no, but I didn't. (laughs) And I was really glad because there was a, a magic that I discovered there. I'd always wanted to be a writer and I was traveling and scribbling all sorts of novels that have never seen the light of day and poetry and journal entries. and But when I told that first story and I felt that magic that exists between a storyteller and the audience, there's this incredible rapport and it's almost like the audience draws out the story that it wants to hear. I've told stories, the same story, and audiences have laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed. I've told the same story and audiences have looked really like tense and gripped. And sometimes, very rarely, but it has happened, I tell a story that I've told many times And I realised the ending is not going to work for this audience. And I've had to change the ending. It's like the audience wants something else. And it's it's a two-way thing, that feeling that I can change it. Not changing the story, just the way that I'm telling it. But also that depends on the audience themselves. If they're not going to laugh, there's nothing I can do to make them laugh. So... Feeling the power of that and realizing that some of these stories are are literally thousands of years old. We don't know who first had the idea for them. Um, they've been kept alive simply because they are so relevant to hundreds of generations of human beings. I mean, these stories are real, real, powerful treasures.
0: And where did that repository of stories come from for you? Were they passed down from family members or were they stories that you'd read? Or did you have to research to develop your repertoire of stories? It's a mixture, really.
1: So I have a Nigerian parent and I have an English parent and my Nigerian father, he would tell the odd story. And, you know, my aunts, his sisters would tell the odd story. But my English mother really loved those stories and collected those stories and and um, collected books, old books, anything she could get her hands on with those stories in. So a lot of the stories come from her. And then... Once I started telling them, then I started doing my own research. Mm. So other storytellers, any books that I can get my hands on. It's finding the ones that are meaningful to me that I can tell Mm. with some emotion.
0: And to adults as well as children.
1: Well, my father's Yoruba and in Yoruba culture, yes, there are stories for children, like the tortoise stories, you know, the, the tortoise and the hare, that's a Originally was an African story, but a lot of our stories are actually for young people, for for teenagers who, you know, you can't lecture a teenager as to what choices they should make. But you can tell a story, you know, a a lot of the stories are are about, um, you know, a girl who falls in love with a stranger and um, marries him and then he turns out to actually not even be human maybe he's like a a snake in disguise that you know moves through the countryside and swallows up young ladies who fall in love with his charisma and marry him mm. so you know in cultures where it was communities wanted to know who their daughters were marrying know their family background these things were really important so telling stories like that to teenagers might be a way of ensuring that if your teenage daughter sees a handsome stranger she might think twice about eloping with him.
0: You made this transition from storytelling to story writing and I guess you've also hinted that writing was already going on for you in various forms journals and so on but what was it that led to the first story that was published?
1: A lot of times I was telling stories at schools storytelling and I always had questions afterwards and their absolute favourite question, which was always asked in every school was, what was it like growing up in Africa? And then a lot of things would then come out, you know, what was it like living in a mud hut? And were you scared of all the wild animals? And, you know, yes, there's an assumption of poverty, but also there's an assumption that all of Africa is rural, an assumption that Africa is one place. And I started writing the Anna Hibiscus stories of a girl growing up in a big modern city who goes to school and has a traditional life in that she lives with her extended family and they wear um, traditional African clothes and they speak traditional African languages, eat traditional food, but She lives a modern lifestyle. They have mobile phones and cars and televisions and computer games and electricity. And so I wrote Anna Hibiscus to read aloud at schools to children as a kind of answer to their question.
0: We'll come back to the uh, perceptions of Africa in a moment. But I wanted to just ask you, first of all, whether the storyteller is evident in your writing because I think I can hear the voice of a storyteller when I read your stories
1: well when I write it's like I talk aloud in my head so as I'm writing I'm speaking aloud in my head and when I go through the editing process I actually read aloud um, I used to pay my children a pound a draft to listen to the endless drafts of my books. They won't do it anymore. So I think, yes, the storyteller is there. But I also have been influenced by great, you know, as a child, the books that I read uh, were by English authors. And one of my favorites was Millie Molly Mandy. Mm. And um I'd forgotten all about Millie Molly Mandy actually until my mum found my old copies and I had a look and the opening is very similar to Anna Hibiscus you know Millie Molly Mandy lives with her mother and her father and, and I thought oh that rhythm I've carried that rhythm with me since I was a very small child Millie Molly Mandy rather than from the African storytelling tradition
0: I wonder if we could hear a little bit from Anna Hibiscus. Yes,
1: of course.
0: So this is
1: from Welcome Home, Anna Hibiscus. And in the previous book, Anna Hibiscus has gone on an aeroplane to Canada to visit her Canadian grandmother. And she's discovered all sorts of things, one of which is that it is actually true that in some places, dogs are actually allowed into houses, which was something that at my primary school, we we just couldn't believe that sounded too wild an accusation to be true. But in this book, Anna Hibiscus comes home and she's had culture shock going to Canada, but now coming home is difficult. I've been speaking to you with my English accent Um, which I learned at boarding school in England. But I'm going to read to you in the accent that I write these books in and the the voice that I had as a child. Wake up, Anna Hibiscus. Welcome home, Anna Hibiscus. Wake up, wake up. Anna Hibiscus opened her eyes, jumping up and down on her bed were her cousins, chocolate and angel. Anna Hibiscus bounced up, She was so glad to see her cousins, so glad to be back in the room they shared, so glad to be back in the big white house, so glad to be back in Africa, amazing Africa. Anna Hibiscus shouted, I'm back, I'm back, I'm back. Double and Trouble came running into the room. Look at my brothers, shouted Anna Hibiscus. They can run now. Anna Hibiscus's mother put her head into the room and smiled. Anna Hibiscus, you fell asleep on the way home from the airport and we carried you to bed. Come downstairs now. Everybody is waiting to greet you and welcome you home. So Anna Hibiscus ran down the stairs to where her aunties and their husbands, her uncles and their wives, and her many, many cousins were all waiting Welcome, Anna, welcome home, Anna Hibiscus, they all shouted at once. Then Anna Hibiscus saw Grandfather. He was not shouting. He was sitting quietly on his mat next to Grandmother. Anna Hibiscus courtesied to Grandfather like a good traditional African girl. Greetings, Grandfather, she said. Grandfather smiled. Come and sit here, Anna Hibiscus, he said. Come and tell me about Canada. Did you remember to stay away from dogs like I told you? The whole family laughed. Nobody really believed the rumors about dogs being allowed into houses abroad. Nobody but grandfather. Anna Hibiscus did not laugh. Anna Hibiscus did not know what to say.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk a little bit about Africa, because the beginning of your book, and I know that you've got some uh, views that you'd like to express about this, but Anna Hibiscus lives in wonderful Africa. What's What's the adjective that you use?
1: Amazing Africa.
0: Amazing Africa. I remember amazing Africa. And you use the generic term of the continent there rather than placing it in Nigeria but there's an intentionality behind that and I think it'd be interesting to hear something about your views and also why some people might find that difficult.
1: I mean Africa is such a huge continent and such a diverse continent even within Nigeria which is the country where I was born there are more than 500 languages are spoken you know when I say Anna hibiscus eats traditional African food in a way that's kind of meaningless because what is traditional European food and Africa is even more diverse than Europe much more so you know there are places on the continent where spicy food is preferred and places on the continent where food isn't so spicy and The clothes as well, you know, I say they wear traditional African clothes. Well, which, which tradition out of the thousands of traditions, which tradition do I mean? Um, I mean, one of them and I don't specify. And um, I have had criticism for not specifying because there is this stereotype that Africa is one place and I think as humans, we do that, you know, I, I live in Wales, and I'm very surprised when I travel around the UK, how many children don't know that there is a Welsh language, that there's a different language in Wales, that it's a different country. So I think we tend to kind of whitewash. um, And this has happened with the African continent. The reason I did it was because I was very aware when I was writing that there is very little children's literature based set in on the African continent. And I wanted any child of African heritage, either living on the continent or living in the African diaspora, to be able to claim those books and say, yes, this is about me. These stories are about me. They're about my Heritage, they're about my continent. The reason that I would say traditional African clothes is so that a child from that continent could imagine their clothes. But I have become more and more specific. So in my third series, Tola is from the city that I grew up in. So I name the city, I name the markets, I name the roads. So, it's not just specific to Nigeria because I could say, you know, well, Anna Hibiscus is set in Nigeria, but then do I mean Northern Nigeria, where the languages are different, the culture is different, the religion is different, the r- social rules are different, even the criminal law is different, the cities look different? Do I mean the Southwest? Do I mean the Southeast? the diversity within Africa is absolutely mind-blowing so it's kind of a minefield to write books set on the continent
0: absolutely fascinating and I think this leads us perhaps quite nicely into talking a little bit about your atlas
1: so the the Africa amazing Africa book which um I wanted to write and I tried to find a way of doing it for about 10 years because the beginning of Anna Hibiscus lives in Africa, amazing Africa. I felt like there needed to be a book for children to explore that more. And I wanted to make sure that every country was mentioned. So every single African country is in the book and has a page to itself Obviously, you know, I've talked about how Nigeria has over 500 languages and the the cultures and the traditions that go and the history that go with those languages. So basically, all you get per country is a tiny little taste, like a little drop in the ocean. But the book is divided up into North Africa. North Africa has a Roman history. So. Some of the Roman emperors were born in North Africa and the second most important city in the Roman Empire was in the country we now call Libya, Leptis Magna. So there are there are Greek ruins there. There are Roman ruins there. The country we now call Morocco ruled southern Europe. Um, So France and Spain were part of and Portugal were part of a North African empire. So Northern Africa is very different to the rest of Africa. It also was invaded and conquered by people from the Middle East. So there's that. And then there's Eastern Africa, um, which has had trade with the Far East for thousands and thousands of years, long before Europe even knew that the Far East existed. And the Middle East, again, so a big Arab influence in East Africa. West Africa had the history of slavery, Western Central Africa, and that whole devastating, devastating period of history. Southern Africa, I mean, you know,
0: Mm. Africa, like
1: I keep saying, is so diverse.
0: Mm. We hear so little via our news channels about what's happening in Africa, unless it's a war or a famine. We don't really hear much else about what's going on in that part of the world. Mm-hmm. And I did uh, maybe I'm wrong but I thought I picked up that you were writing a history of Africa or is it a black history of Britain that you're writing? The black
1: history of Britain.
0: When are we going to be getting that?
1: <laughs> um it'll be next year. I think it'll be August next year the writing is finished but the illustration continues because it covers so many, many periods of history. Uh, I've started with the first humans to walk on what we now call Britain, because we were attached to mainland Europe at that time. I've started with those very first humans and I go right up to 2020 in the Black Lives Matter marches. Um, And I discovered a lot those first Britons had black skin so wait to
0: read the book Yes, I think I should come back to your stories just for now and I do want to touch on number one I mean he's a great favorite with the uh, children that uh, I've been working in in school so where did his stories come from his stories
1: were a lot more difficult to write um they came from you know, my father, really, he he sparked the beginning of those stories. And my brother, my uncle's memories of them, their love of cars and the, the car spotting that they did and memories of visiting the village. Everybody in Nigeria knows what village their ancestors are from. And the, the envy I had of the lifestyle of the children there, the freedom they had, they could just run and go and... Yes, they had to work and do as they were told, but they had this freedom that I didn't have as a a very Western child. I think, you know, in the West, we assume that um, if people don't have money or a lifestyle similar to a Western lifestyle, then they're kind of deprived. Mm. It's one of the things that I wanted to illustrate in the number one car spotter is that people, not just children, can have very little financially and thrive. And that the way we do things in the West isn't necessarily the best way. Mm. Children here don't necessarily have the best childhood. It's hard to say these things because I don't want to underestimate the stress of poverty, which is a terrible, terrible thing if you're worried about food and and medicine, and yeah,
0: it is getting you know perspective on what's important, and uh, your stories do that so well. I think we have to come up to date and hear a little bit about Tola, and we've got a new Tola story, haven't we? Yes. Um, so you've already told us that Tola does live in Lagos, in Nigeria, so it's a, it's more specific. Loves learning, very clever little girl. so uh, tell us a bit about her and maybe we could hear a reading.
1: Yes, I mean I've always wanted to write the Tola stories because I um, grew up in Nigeria very aware of how privileged I was as a child, so although I really, you know, Anna Hibiscus, my first series, I wanted to illustrate to children that we have modern life and many people on the African continent have plenty of money. I didn't want to pretend that there wasn't the other side of things as well, that there isn't poverty, but similar to the number one car spotter, I didn't want to give this impression that children who are poor are just pathetic. So many of these children have to be so resilient and courageous and creative and strong they're, they're really impressive, impressive, incredible people. And I wanted to show that in mm. Two Small Tola.
0: Mm. And there's mobility in the story, isn't there? Because grandma at the beginning needs to sell groundnuts. And in the story that we're reading now, she no longer needs to do that. Is that mobility a reality?
1: Yes, it is. It is. I mean, it doesn't happen for everybody. Obviously, otherwise, every nobody would be selling groundnuts anymore. Mm. But it is possible. It is possible with kind of luck and hard work and talent. It is possible. Sadly, it's not 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 for everybody.
0: Yeah. Could you read us a little bit? Yes, of course.
1: Two small Tola lives in a room in a rundown block of flats in the mega city of Lagos. She lives with her grandmother, who is very bossy. Her sister, Muji, who is very clever, and her brother, Dakwa, who works very, very hard. Some say that more than 20 million people also live in the mega city of Lagos. There are billionaires with private helicopters to take them to Mecca every Friday. And there are people with no bank accounts. If they miss one day of work, they cannot buy food that day. Tola and her family are lucky. Tola's brother, Dakwa, has a job as a mechanic, and they can buy as much food as they need. Dakwa earns so much that grandmommy does not need to walk selling groundnuts by the side of the road like she used to do. And Tola can go to school every day instead of having to help grandmommy sell groundnuts. Tola loves school. And when she comes home now, there is always food ready to eat. Eat, Grandmommy says to Tola. Then you can concentrate on your schoolwork. Tola hugs Grandmommy. It is so good to eat and so good to have time for homework. Tola loves maths. She loves how numbers fit together like a puzzle. A puzzle that you can put together and then take apart again. Tola is staring at her times tables when suddenly she sees the answers to division sums. Moji, Tola shouts. Tola's sister Moji does not look up from her borrowed school computer. Grandmommy says, Tola, do not bother your sister. Grandmommy is determined that Moji become a doctor. But Tola is too excited to be quiet because inside the sum, three times 12 equals 36. She can see the answer to the sum 36 divided by 12. And also the answer to the sum 36 divided by three. Tola is sure of it. She shrieks and claps her hands. Moji frowns. What is it? She asks, looking up at last. Multiplication and division are the same, Tola crows, but backwards. Mudji smiles. Show me, she
0: says. I absolutely love that delight at self-discovery in the story. It's been such a delight talking to you today. And I started out in my introduction saying how joyful I find your writing. We haven't even touched on your lullabies and, uh, you know, you're writing about babies and that is the word that sticks in my mind is the joy of life, really. So thank you so much for talking Mm -hmm. to me today.
1: Thank you. It's been a great pleasure.
0: In the Reading Corner is presented
1: by Nikki Gamble and produced by Alison Hughes. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review. If you would like to find out about other events and courses, visit justimagine.co.uk. Join us again in the Reading Corner on your favourite podcast platform.